I wanted to take a quick minute to talk about one of our sponsors that make this podcast possible, and that's Parker Sporlin and the Catch-All Filter Dryer. Do you know what can reduce system efficiencies and reliability within your refrigeration system? If you answer contamination, you are correct. Sporlin Catch-All Dryers have been around since 1947 and have been perfected over the years to capture water, acid, solids, debris, including sludges and varnishes. For best practices, change the catch-all filter dryer if any of the following occurs. Initial system install, when a system is open for service or repair, when excessive pressure drop of 5 PSI across the filter dryer, when the see-all sight glass indicates water is present, when doing a T1-1 acid test kit says there's acid present, during a compressor burnout cleanup, and following a successful burnout cleanup. To find out more information, by downloading Bulletin 40-10 from Sporlin.com with all the catch-all filter dryer information. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, and just a shade under a decade, too. All right. You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. I know. They're called doctors. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're here with your host, Brett Wetzel, and I think it's Kevin Compass. I'm not really sure. I can't really tell. How are we doing today, Kev? I hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Losing my voice. What's going on? Is more more phosgene or what? Um, no, just the rooms. What was that? I said no, just screw compressor rooms and lots of screaming. <laughs> you know, awful. when somebody's like three feet away from you and you can't hear them. <laughs> no, I got you. Um, no, I'm I'm down in Jacksonville this week. Uh, we're working on, uh, getting all the training centers ready for live in-person, uh, training. So I'm just making a deficiency list of what needs to get done and, you know, what to do to update some of the stuff, uh, you know, with newer technology. Um, just, you know, I, I, that's on my agenda. I have to go to Houston and then I also have to go back down to California cause I didn't get to check out the training center when I was down there, you know, really extensively last time. So, yeah, that's what I got going on. So tonight yeah, we're gonna got lots of. Uh... Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> so tonight we're gonna talk about uh, pumping down systems, uh, pumping pumping down and pumping out a condenser because there is a, a a real way to 
do it so it, it's minimal time on the vac on the recovery machine. Because otherwise, if you don't do it properly, it's going to take you five times longer than what it probably should be. And, you know, everyone's got their own method. You know, everyone's got, you know, Kevin's got a lot of super cool toys that he gets to play with. Um, so, you know, like I said, everyone has their own different way of doing stuff. So where do you want to start, Kev? You want to talk about condensers? No. So I want to start with pumping down systems first. Okay. Um, like pumping down systems. So there's a couple different ways to do this. Really depends on what you have for temperature control, meaning what kind of EPRs you have on the rack. That that's going to be a big dictator on pumping down systems. So I think we start first with like a standard rack with like sorit valves and go about this. So there's all kinds of ways. But me and Brett are going to give you guys examples on how we do it and how we teach people to do it. So first off, if I have like a sort rack, you know, like sort 12, sort 15. So say you're like, like a Walmart with a standard rack house inside. Basically, a lot of times what I'll do is basically shut down the uh, hook up your gauges. Um, obviously, you know, purge out your gauges a little bit so you don't have uh, any type of, uh, you know, air in your uh, air in your hoses. Um, you know, the next thing I do is basically uh, shut down the uh, li uh, liquid line uh, ball valve and verify that, in fact, that we are, you know, pumping down from there. Um, a lot of times I will actually sh uh, open up my gauge set and basically let refrigerant go through my gauge set as well as, you know, letting it also pump out through the system. Um, if you have a regular conventional sort valve, uh, a lot of times they're pilot operated. Um, you really don't want to adjust the adjustment stem on there because then basically after you're done, you know, pumping it down, you have to readjust that, that stem. So a lot of times the, the easiest way to go is to actually go through and basically um, close off the pilot line that goes to the uh, the sort or sport valve. And then that way you could basically, um, you know, it'll open up the, uh, the open up the suction line valve to, to rack pressure. So it doesn't take forever. Cause otherwise if you're trying to, uh, trying to pump down and still trying to uh, adjust via the, the EPR, it's going to take, <laughs> three times as long as what it typically would. Um, if you have an uh, electronic uh, EPR, you override that to 100%. Um, if you have a, uh, a Parker um, Parker A8 valve, um, basically there's a connection on the uh, a port on the side where you would open up the side with a wrench. And there's an adjustment screw on there that on the side there it says auto and open. You're basically going to take a flathead screwdriver once you get the cap off and basically rotate that until over to it says open. And then that way you don't have to mess with the adjustment stem of the top. So you're not basically having to readjust the pressure regulator every single time that you, you know, have to pump down a system. Well, like I stated before, you know, one of the things that you can do is basically open up your gauge set, you know, so you're you're letting it not only pump down through the actual piping, but also uh, utilizing your gauge set to actually, uh, pump, you know, pump it down as well. 
All right, I'm back. All right, good. All right. I don't know what happened here. Indiana has no internet, so. So, back to what Brett was saying when we are pumping things down. So, in general, what I do is liquid first, obviously, and start pumping it down. You're going to gauge up to it. Whether you're using gauges, I strongly recommend not using gauges. I use uh, two core pullers and a hose. The reason I use the core pullers is it's 10 times faster. So, I'll pull the liquid trader out. I'll have a stubby gauge on the uh, core puller and then I'll loop the uh, hose to the actual suction stub on the EPR and I'll pull the straighter on that also. And that allows the liquid to go into the suction and it dump down quick. So wait till we are down to suction pressure on the liquid. Once you're down to suction pressure on the liquid, you can then start to quickly pump down. So down to suction pressure on the liquid, I will shut all the other circuits. Now, if you have sore at that, so what you're going to do is you're going to take and you're going to uh, shut all the circuits off. If it's Parker 8 valves or sport valve or sort valves, it's extremely easy because all you have to do is shut all the circuits which is off, and that's going to cause all your EPRs to shut. After all your EPRs shut, then what's going to happen is it's going to pull down the rack suction pressure rapidly. Now, you're still not going to get all the way down. So there's a couple different ways to do this. It depends on what customer site you're at, what kind of EMS control you have. So... If I'm at a site where I have control over everything, I may override the suction pressure set point to a pound, or I may force a compressor on, or if I'm at a Novar site, I'm going to flip a dip switch, or I'm going to flip the hand on override switch, and I'm going to allow the rack to pull down as low as I can. I'm going to use the rack as my recovery machine. liquid and I am still getting everything out of this out of this circuit so now I'm watching my gauge when my gauge gets down to about a half a pound I'm going to shut it off so and then I'm going to valve off the suction and then I'm going to go um, open the two hoses and let the little bit of vapor out of that out of there you don't want to bring it all the way down to zero that, that's when you end up pulling it into a vacuum, especially if you have a leak. You don't want to pull it into a vacuum if you have a leak because now you're going to be bringing in air to the system. Now, when you're, when you're forcing that compressor on, if you're going to do an override, do a timed override. That way you don't forget. If you're going to do Novar and you're going to do the hand auto switch, you're all good for that. I would avoid flipping dip switches on CPC. That's how guys forget to flip a dip switch back. Um, you can do that. Don't jam in contactors. I mean, that's just good. And if you're 
site where they have a low pressure control that's taking everything out, generally what I do is I will take and uh, shut off the packed angle for the low pressure control real tight. It'll keep it going. You can do the same thing for a transducer. So this is generally how I teach apprentices how to pump down circuits. I will go the same method. I will have them close a liquid. I will have them force the EPR wide open. Uh, whether I open the manual open stem or I shut the hot gas supply off and I have them pump the, you want to pump the liquid into the suction. Once it gets down to uh, vapor, what I'll have them do is I'll have them take a second set of gauges. I will have them put it on another circuit and I will have them loop it to the packed angle valve for the transducer. And I will have them shut the transducer off. So, and I'll have them open their gauges. So basically what this will do is it'll falsify the transducer. So it'll take circuit pressure, put it on the transducer. And what this does is it causes the rack to ramp up because that circuit's gonna be at a higher pressure than the rack suction. So the rack suction transducer is going to think the rack suction's higher. And then you could shut all your circuit switches off and it'll keep a compressor running. That way you can pump down a circuit. I like this method for new new guys for two reasons. It's quick and it keeps them from forgetting to turn something out of override. So again, you take you take your center hose, you put it on a circuit, you pick your your low side hose, you put it on the transducer, you valve off the transducer, you open up your pet your hose, and you put pressure on that transducer. And that falsifies the transducer. Yes, it takes two sets of gauges, but again, it keeps guys from, from getting to turn things back on. You got anything to add to that, Brett? No, I just I, that just seems like a lot of work. <laughs> um, I mean, if you if you override the pressure transducer, right? That's basically doing the same thing as transferring, you know, isolating that and turning it off. Yeah. Um, the only other thing you'd have to worry about is the low pressure switch. Either if the system has a low pressure switch where it has a master or each compressor, correct? Yeah. So say you're at a Walmart, you're going to have a master low pressure switch. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, target the same way too, I think. Yeah. For um, the most you're part of the master low pressure switch. So I generally just valve it off. Valve it off tight and usually okay. You want to try to avoid tripping that because obviously it's going to hit the time delays. Yeah. And then you find out while you're pumping it down that, that four out of the six time delays have now failed. And, and now you need, you know, four crozettes. I refuse no. to put those back in. Why? <laughs> Those are the most unreliable component in a rack. Because I, I put the Carlos Gavazzi, Gavazzi A1s back in, and I've yet to have one fail again. Really? Hmm. Yeah, I have yet to have a Carlos Gavazzi A1 fail. I, I have changed cruisettes, and two weeks later, I'm changing the same one again. I haven't had that happen. Are they the same uh, pin layout? Yeah. 
Okay. So because if you get, the if Carlos you, Cavazier ones are the exact same pin layout. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a multifunction timer, so it could do any anything you want: delay on make, delay on break, uh, pulse, anything. Hmm. I've only found one one reason and to cheaper. use a pulse. Really? Yeah, they're like ten dollars a time delay cheaper. Hmm. All right, you want to switch over to doing uh, condensers? got to switch off that Indiana internet. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could see this. Kevin looks so mad right now. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Then I got to send you a new one. It's not that. It's your internet or your or your computer. <laughs> I'm assuming he can hear me. Oh, he's back. He's back. I think Can he's back. Me? Yeah, no. I I'm done with this computer. I'm buying a new computer. It, it just keeps on, it keeps on hooking the mic. I have no idea why I'm so done with this. I'm just going to throw this thing one day at work. It's just going to happen. Are you <laughs> using the I USB? Wanted, I to talk about huh? I want to talk about C, uh, C, pumping down stuff with CDS valves real quick. Okay, go ahead. And then we'll move on to condensers. So yeah. valves become uh, a bit, bit of a pain in the ass for pumping things down because obviously you have no way to override them off a switch, you know, real quick. So some you, you have two options here. You either shut all the ball valves on the rack if you have them. If it's a loop, you're screwed. You either shut all the ball valves on the rack or you go into the multiplex ESR application and you force them all to zero. You override them, the valve all puts to zero for like 10 minutes, and that'll allow you to pump the rack rack down or that circuit down quickly. That's the only way to do it with an ESR. Obviously, as you start pumping down the circuit you're pumping down, the ESR should open up because the case is gonna warm up. But to get everything else, that or you're breaking on a recovery machine. I hardly ever use a recovery machine for that stuff, but um, the only other way is to force all the EPRs to zero. I mean, that that becomes kind of a pain, and I don't really recommend that because if you don't do a timed override and you forget about it, you're either going to lose an entire case full of food or you're really going to piss off the on-call guy. Oh, just a note out there um, in in CPC. If you go to menu eight four three, gives you all the uh, current overrides that you actually have in there. Uh, the other option is to you know basically get all the 
uh, EPRs to zero uh, by holding the control and then page down by staying on like where it has a percentage on the EPR, it'll actually skip through all the circuits and go through one circuit at a time. So it actually makes it a lot quicker instead of having exit, exit, and then back in and then finding where the EPR percentage was and going through and doing that. But, you know, I'm good for going through and so making it's sure. Faster to... Go ahead. Yeah. It's faster to do it in the ESR application. So if you hit menu five and go to multiflex ESR, you could go through them all real quick in the board on one screen. Yeah. Okay. I never thought I never thought of it that way because I mean usually I'm I don't know at that point it yeah ball valves, but no no that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I gen I generally just hit the ball valves. So let's move on to condensers. Now this becomes the big thing that most guys get afraid of or and or get themselves caught up in a product loss or a store freaking out. So. When you're taking down a condenser, and this is something you should probably do on the fly, this has to be something that's kind of planned out. I lost you. Lost you. So anyway, so what? What do you, uh, my uh, one of my things that that I usually do when I do condenser? You know, Kevin is right; it has to be planned out. Uh, you know, usually you can get away with, uh, you know utilizing a uh you know utilizing tarps you know or thick thick gauge plastic in order to you know uh cover up the the cases uh one of the things that i usually always do uh that i recommend because it, it gives you a whole bunch more ample time is basically open up you know a lot of times when you're you know up to a rack where you got to pump it down you know the e all the epr percentages are usually pretty far down already um a lot of times what i will do it's basically override all the, uh, you know, all the EPRs, uh, you know, op start opening them up slow. Where basically you start bringing down the temperature slower and slower and slower. And then that way, while you're bringing it down, um, you know, you're dropping the temperature of the case. You're also making that coil temperature a lot colder. So while you're doing that as well, you're able to, you know, make, like I said, make the cold, the, uh, excuse me, making the coil a lot colder, which you're also making the product a lot colder. So it gives you a lot more time to have the rack actually shut down. Um, I mean, I've, I've done this already where I've had the, you know, the case temperature, even open cases with, you know, with plastic up. And I've had the, the product down to, you know, the, I'm sorry, not the product, but basically the case temperature uh, sensor reading about 15 or 18 degrees. And I've had a rack entirely shut down for about three and a half hours. And just about at the four hour mark is when it actually, you know, started hitting alarm temperatures. But like I said, I did have plastic up. I wasn't using dry ice. But like I said, by making the temperature cold in the coil and cold in the product and having plastic over a thick gauge plastic, I was able to extend the amount of time that I would be actually able to have the system pumped down. Yeah, we haven't had this many problems since we first started. Jesus, this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> So my big thing with this is I could generally pump out any condenser in just about an hour. Now, the way I go about this is, yeah, you want to plan it, but not everything's planable. Let's be honest. Not everything's planable in this job. So how I go about this is first things first, I'm going to, I'm going to shut the condenser fans off. After I got everything set up, I'm 
off. I'm gonna high head this rack. I'm gonna get the discharge high for as long as I can. Okay, as soon as I do that, I'm gonna immediately it off and shut it, shut it off and valve it off. I'm then going to then start dumping it into the uh, into the suction from a uh, re reclaimer. Now, you got two options here. You could dump it into recovery tanks or the rack, or you could if you have another rack, it goes in that rack. So if you have another rack, it's the same refrigerant, you push it into that rack with your recovery machine. So you wanna use your recovery machine, even though the rack's sucking on it, you wanna use the recovery machine too, and you wanna push it into the other rack. Now you wanna get the biggest hoses you can on this thing. And if you gotta pull cores, hopefully you have packed angle valves you could use. And if you have quarter inch packed angle valves, what you're gonna wanna do is you're gonna wanna. Hey guys, I wanna take a break and talk about Westermeyer, one of our other sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries, the leader in oil management and pressure vessels for the commercial refrigeration industry. Repairing refrigeration lighting can be performed quickly and profitably by utilizing the Illuminosity Kensington Refrigeration LED. Kensington was developed by the supermarket refrigeration community to be a near universal solution for refrigeration lighting repairs. At Illuminosity, we saw the frustration of technicians making multiple trips to the store sites to determine the correct parts. Labor pileups, dispatch remains open for months, high prices for the replacement parts by the OEM and customers refusing to pay for all this effort, leading to unbillable or end of life invoices. Our goal was to develop the Swiss Army Knife LED that technicians can carry on their trucks or at their shops to provide a one and done lighting repairs at a profit. Once your customers experience the clean, bright Kensington LED, they will be asking for more and making you more profits. The Kensington LED features secure metal mounting bracket for an internal driver, near universal solution for reach in doors and air cases walk-in and prep rooms, one-and-done repairs, easy and labor-efficient to install. They have a built-in LED driver that has a universal 120-277 volt input, easy and secure mounting, HVAC and refrigeration contractors in the United States. They're made for damp locations, rated IP44. They have a seven-year warranty, available in four, five, and six-foot lengths, and they're tested in all major brands of refrigeration units. They're also utilized by most of the major. For information and pricing, please contact Pete Murata at Illuminosity. His email is Pete, P-E-T-E, at I-L-U-M-I-N-O-S-I-T-Y dot com. His cell phone number is 209-814-8129. Check out Kensington Refrigeration LED and our full line of quality products at www.iluminosity.com. That's www.i-luminosity.com. Thanks for listening, guys. So packed angle valves as well. Oh, yeah. oh.
All right, so you want to get on packed angle valves. If you have quarter-inch packed angle valves, I recommend getting some quarter to three-eighths flare uh, unions. So you want quarter uh, female flare by male, three-eighths male flare. So what you're going to do is you're going to put the reducers on the packed angle valves to their quarter-inch. If they're three-eighths, that's great. What you want to do is you want to get as much flow out of these things as you can. If I'm using core pullers, I am going to put the, the quarter to three-eighths fittings on the core puller after I pull the core. I'm going to use three-eighths hoses straight out into the recovery machine. And then from the recovery machine, three-eighths hoses back into the rack or into the, the tank. So generally how I do this is I will get as much vapor out of this condenser as I can by the quick recovery, by high-heading it, I'm sorry, as much liquid out by high heading it. Once I got all the liquid out and it's tripping on high head, I isolate it. I put the fittings on, I get the hoses hooked up, get the reclaimer ready. I vent it down. And then when I get down to like the last like 10, 15 pounds, I hook it to a reclaim tank. If I have it hundred pounder that's in a vacuum and it'll suck out that last little bit of vapor into that tank and I'm good to go. Now, if I have another rack, say I have two 404 racks, I'm going to use the other rack. It's going to suck it down 10 times faster. And I'm going to use the reclaimer to also suck it into there and push it out. That way I won't have any issues with uh, the speed. Generally, I can knock it out in an, about 20 minutes to uh, 45 minutes. I could do a 12-fin condenser with sometimes I'll, I'll double up the reclaimers if I need to. Um, Appian makes these speed wise, like they are amazing where you could split a quarter inch hose to two three eighths. You could split two three eighths to a quarter. So you could basically twin two recovery machines together if you want to. So that way you could, you know, double your recovery size. So that's one way to do it. Brett, what about you? Same exact method. Um, you know, the only you know, if you're using reclaim uh, to do it, uh, is recommended to you know, if you as long as you're not having to run five thousand feet of of hose, um, you know, throw your reclaimers, uh, your reclaim tanks into the uh, into the into the walk-in freezer to bring that temperature down. You know, it's it's comparable to you know, basically utilizing the uh, little subcooler coil that they use when they're, you know, recovering refrigerant from, you know, a rooftop unit where they basically stick that cold up uh, thing of copper, you know, with, with some ice to basically, you know, help bring the pressure and temperature down on there. But it just, it helps, it helps uh, recover that refrigerant a lot faster. Yeah. So I actually have a plate and frame heat exchanger I use. So I went on eBay one day and I found a, braze plate heat exchanger, like a 30,000 BTU braze plate heat exchanger that was uh, threaded. I got some uh, thinning reducers and it's half inch in and out on one side and it is a water hose on the other. So I could hook a water hose up to it and that's what I use for, to cool my, my, uh, my tanks down if I'm using the reclaimer. Because we have a giant reclaimer I made out of a condensing unit or out of a mm. scroll compressor, basically, that I uh, 
that I use to recover racks with when we're doing like big projects. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it works pretty good. I mean, you don't need ice, but uh, I mean, I think I spent like 30 bucks on it. Yeah, that's what I was curious because I've heard you, I've heard you, you know, make mention that before. And I've always meant to ask like what, you know, how, like what size do you get? You know what I mean? As far as the braze plate heat exchanger, right? So I think mine's like a 10 plate. Um, I just got the, you know, biggest one I could find for not spending a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it works great though. Like, I mean, I had a 10 horse scroll on this thing and I mean, it was running as basically discharge gas from the scroll through it. I was getting it like five degrees over the water temp. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was middle of wintertime. So we were putting, you know, 40, 50 degree water through it. And, you know, I, I was going 60 degree refrigerant out of it. So, oh, it, I mean, it works great. I mean, it, it's tiny too. I mean, it's basically maybe three inches longer than my phone and maybe like an inch wider than my phone what the actual heat exchanger yeah it, it's super tiny now right, you're gonna have to get a model number on that because i'm i'm lo- i'm looking at them right now and yeah they look on eBay, they're, they're like dirt cheap huh no i'm just saying I mean, like the, the, the physical size of them they just look bigger you know what i mean yeah i think it's like 10 inches by like five and a half maybe yeah huh and then it's uh three quarter it's three quarter inch threads in and out on both sides and i just took three quarter to half inch reducers for the because i use half inch hoses a lot whenever i can but yeah i mean most guys don't have half inch hoses well you know and, and to mention i mean you don't necessarily have to you know, have to get a heat exchanger like if you find one that's you know, that, that you can braze on, then, then get it. Because, I mean, it's not like you can't, you can't braze those fittings on, you know, onto that heat exchanger, right? Yeah, I mean, the ice bucket thing works great, except, I mean, for my stuff, I was using it, you know, with a way bigger um, compressor. So I was trying to cool it down more. So, I mean, I'm always trying to figure out how to do it faster and, you know, more efficiently. And smaller size because my van's like the Mary Poppins van that I can't fit anything more into. <laughs> I've seen pictures. <laughs> I mean, it's literally sitting on the bump stops right now. Like I cannot physically fit like anything else in there. And guys used to talk shit on how much stuff that I had in my truck. Cause I, I mean, I, I do have a shit ton of tools, um, but it, you know, equally I did have a, a lot of truck stock as well. Cause I, I hate, going to supply houses. Um, you know, some guys like going to the supply house in the middle of the day, breaks up their day. I, I, I absolutely, absolutely hate it. Like it, 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 I don't know. It just ruins, it ruins my day. I'd rather have, you know, $20,000 with a truck stock on there and never have to go to the supply house except for once every three months. I'd just basically rip the tags off of whatever I used, throw it in the front dash and basically, Oh, I'm at United, you know, or I'm at, or I'm, you know, Baker, or I'm at wherever. And, and, you know, and just basically rip off the tag and, oh, that's where I'm going. There, uh, There is a ridiculous amount of parts in my van. I mean, for God's sakes, I rebuilt that CO2 rack out of spare parts in my van. Shit. <laughs> when, when all the boards got wet. <laughs> oh, wait, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Uh, 
see you remember that multiflex board that the CO2 rack, the uh, valve driver for the high pressure valve got wet and shorted <laughs> out. And I, made yeah. the, uh, I use an ESR board to, that I found in my van and a transformer and made, made, I basically made a valve driver out of it. Yeah. I mean, that's why I hang on to parts. I mean, it had one bad board point. The other seven were good. So, no, I got you. No, like, uh, they used, absolutely. They, they used to hate doing an inventory on my truck because, like, I would have bins that, hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is stuff that's inventory. What's that over there? Don't worry about that. That's just extra, extra stuff. Or, you know, someone will pull back. I'm a junk collector. Like, people will pull, uh, pull back old condensing units and their trash. And I'm like, that's a good fuse block. I can use that fuse block. Oh, that timer's good too. And oh, hey, hey, there's fuses in there. I can pull them out, you know? Yeah, I have an entire shelf that's do not inventory. Like, <laughs> that's mine or like stuff that's been collected. It's, you know, off limits, don't touch. Like, that's my 2 a.m., you know, save your ass part. All right, so I want to go over like the last couple of things about this. Uh, pumping out a receiver. Another big task, just like a condenser, but equally just as easy. So when I come, when it comes to pumping out a receiver, I do it this way just about every time. So I will try to stack as much gas in a condenser as I can. Now, this depends on how warm it is outside. If it's wintertime, you could probably pump out the whole receiver without having any issues. So I'll shut the drop legs and let it start pumping out the receiver. Now, if it's summertime, this is where it becomes an issue. So what you're going to want to do is shut the drop legs off or the inlet ball valve of the receiver, and you want to start pumping out. When your head pressure starts climbing up high, this is what I do. I take the receiver pressurization valve, and I run that thing in as far as I can go. And I let that hot gas start blowing in that receiver. It's going to do two things. It's going to keep that rack running. It's going to allow you to uh, not trip on high head for the most part because you're pushing gas into the receiver. And you're doing the other thing is you're heating that receiver up and boiling out any liquid inside of it. So you're heating that vessel up and you're pushing all the liquid out of it with high pressure. So once you get to the point where your head pressure is like 300 pounds and your receiver's nice and hot, you're going to shut it off and you're going to vent it to the suction um, with a recovery machine. If the, you have the other rack, is the same flavor of gas, you vent it into that rack and you get it down and then you push the rest of the gas out of the recovery machine. I have taken five to 700 pound receivers down in 25 minutes doing this. It is quick, especially if you have a three eighths fitting on there, you could move that gas extremely fast. It's all about heating up that receiver. You want to heat up that liquid and push it out because once you start trying to boil it off inside the receiver, it's going to take forever, especially if it's cold outside. I feel like an ass. I've never even thought about you utilizing the receiver pressurization valve for that. Yeah, I mean, it works great. I mean, it heats it up quick and pushes it out. No, I never just never, never. I don't know. Never thought about it because, yeah, I mean, usually I end up having to torch, you know, torch the bottom of the uh, receiver to basically, you know, boil off that less of that refrigerant in the bottom there. Huh? 
Yeah, with, uh, with this method, you don't. I mean, especially if it's hot out, I mean, it, it goes quick. The other thing, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes your, uh, your receiver will actually have a uh, surge valve around it. And if you're even luckier, you'll have, you know, valves there that you can actually keep the rack running. So, I mean, you can basically isolate it and do what Kevin is saying. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, what I was saying before, as far as having to pump down, uh, you know, pull down the temperature on all the cases, you know, drastically low just to make sure, you know, because we want to make sure we don't have any product loss, right? That's the, that's the end game, right? We want to make sure we make the repair quickly and efficiently, but we also want to make sure that we don't damage any of the products, right? Yeah, and then we'll go over the last thing, the liquid shell. So I have a particular way that I show guys how to do liquid dryers. Some guys argue against that this way is the devil. I don't know. I have not had any issues doing it this way, and it goes extremely fast. So when I do liquid shell dryers, it takes a more, minute more to prep up, but I put a core puller on the liquid shell dryer. I take a gauge and put it on the side of the core puller. I take a hose, I run it from the core puller inlet. I run into a compressor discharge service valve. I open the discharge service valve up. I start pumping up a dryer shell. So I shut the inlet to the dryer shell. I then open up the uh, hose going to the, the packed angle valve from the uh, compressor discharge service valve. I let it flow full. Just like the receiver, we're doing two things. We're pushing out the liquid and we're heating up the cores. The reason I do this is with when you're taking out liquid cores, you end up getting liquid sitting in the bottom and it takes forever to get it out. Now, you've done, you push the liquid out fast and at the same time, you're warming that core up. You want to get that core above dew point because now that core isn't going to sweat. Because generally when you, you know, pump a core out, it's cold. Okay, it had liquid in it, it's cold. So that shell's cold. So if you're in like humid hell like bread, you're going to collect all that moisture in there. Now you're sticking a desiccant in there. Now that desiccant's going to absorb that moisture. Yeah, you're going to pull a vacuum and you should be using a micron gauge. But let's be honest here. There's guys out there, especially some, you know, older guys that refuse to pull vacuums and just purge. Well, now you just stuck desiccant into a thing that is full of moisture. And if you didn't pull a good vacuum, you're never going to get that moisture out. Now you just made everything 10 times worse. So by injecting hot gas into the core puller, you come above dew point, you heat the core up, you get the liquid out. As soon as it heats up, you valve it off. You take the hose off the compressor, you flip it to the, uh, the suction somewhere, and you vent out the core. Now the core is warm still, and you can easily pull the core out. You don't have to worry about, you know, hitting it with a torch and trying to boil off liquid. All you have to do is clean the core out and pull a good. Yeah, and like Kev said, I mean, you know, basically if you have, you know, all that moisture around and inside the uh, – the core, I mean, you're basically putting a, you know, desiccant, which is, you know, absorption uh, material for moisture. And, you know, if you're absorbing that and you basically now saturate, you know, potentially could have saturated that desiccant that's in there 
and now you basically reduce the amount of you know capacity of moisture that that you know that that shell can actually take out now because now you've basically introduced x amount of of uh, moisture into that shell already yeah so that that's a generally an over you know way i try to do it i mean having larger hoses always helps with stuff like that i mean try to get your hands with some three eighths hoses um yeah, trying to get it out of there as fast as you can. I mean, the thing with recovery, the faster the better. So, I mean, some of those Appian recovery machines, especially the field piece one, you could really push some liquid through there. Like hundreds of pounds of liquid. And they will just straight take it. Also remember while you're doing all this, uh, no lost fittings get rid of them don't 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 use them while you're while you're trying to recover or you know reclaim any of this um you know also we want to stay away from any kind of schraders we and if you there are schraders pull them out if you have schrader depressors in those hoses that you're using you should have dedicated hoses you know with the with the thought that you're not going to utilize a schrader so there's no reason to actually have a schrader depressor in there when you have a schrader depressor in there you're basically blocking off probably what 50 or 60 percent of the flow just like when you have a schrader in there, you're blocking off about 90% of the flow. So that, that's why I, I am against gauges. I don't have a set of gauges in my truck. I haven't had a set of gauges in like the last five years. I think they're pretty much pointless now. Everything's about core pullers, probes, single you know gauges. I can do everything with core pullers and a hose. I can fit two core pullers and a hose in my tool bag and, and a probe. And no issues. I mean, I could pull down way faster. It, I, I think core pullers are the way to go. If you're still pulling uh, vacuums through gauges, you're just wasting your time. I mean, you pull 0.3 of a CFM through a quarter-inch hose with a, with a depressor in it. So I see guys out there all the time with a 10 CFM vacuum pump and a set of four por ports pulling off a 3 8 hose with uh suction and high side hose with depressors in there congratulations you're not even pulling a half a cfm so appion has an awesome video out there on youtube where basically you can uh take a look at at how much you know how much actual cfm you're pulling and they they, they use explainers and it seems really simplistic they basically take wow uh two liter bottles they hook up one with a no loss fitting and a schrader on it. Then they uh, have another one where it's actually pulling a vacuum with uh, with just a schrader uh, schrader in there. And then they pull one with that has a schrader core puller and basically no schrader depressor in there. And you can see, you know, basically the difference on how fast that you know it, it deflates the two liter bottle. You know what I mean? Which shows you, you know, really how much how much CFM that you're moving to actually remove the moisture and to remove that air from that refrigerant system. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent on dedicated vacuum rig, dedicated recovery stuff. I mean, it's way easier. Like everything I have set up, I have like a vacuum kit. I have a recovery kit. You know, I, I have a kit set up so I could just grab that stuff in my van. Everything's in there. Core pullers, blue vac hoses, micron gauge, everything's in one box. Just grab the Milwaukee box out and go with that. If I'm doing recovery, 
grab the Milwaukee box out for that and go. So I had a, I had a question for you because I see I see this post come up all the time on uh, Supermarket where basically, you know, guys are complaining about the the blue hoses, you know, with the, the fittings uh, pulling off at the end. Is that just, just strictly from over-tightening on those, on those particular fittings? Oh, it was a manufacturing defect, and it's over-tightening. Now, if you have one pop off, all you got to do is tell them and tell them how many you got of the same fitting, and they'll send you more. Now, okay. I have, like, the begin because I bought into the uh, blue back in the beginning. I have the original fittings, so mine don't do that. Mine don't have snap rings in them. So I have never had a problem. The shop ones we have, because we have like 12 for the vacuum rig I have at the shop for the like big 36 CFM like rotary pump we have. Yeah. Those those ones do pop off on occasion, but generally it's when a fitter takes a pair of channel locks to them. <laughs> yeah, that'll I mean, do they that. pop on pretty easy, but I mean... I think I've gotten almost all of them replaced, but BlueVac is great. As soon as you call them, I mean, they, they send you new ones. Awesome. But I, I am totally sold on those hoses. They are 10 times faster than copper. They're more flexible. I can change the ends on them. I mean, I can fold them up in a Milwaukee ammo box, and I can fit all my fittings in there. So I have everything for recovery in there. I mean, it works out great. So, the, I mean, you know, the other thing you can do, I mean, I know, you know, Kevin's holding a blue vac system, but like if you don't have the money to spend that on, on those fittings, I mean, what you can do is basically take, a, you know, a piece of uh, inch and three-eighth, inch and, inch and a quarter, uh, inch and an eighth, uh, you know, copper line and basically, you know, uh, put ends on it, drill a couple holes in the, in the center and make yourself a rig used a bunch of packed angle valves you know a lot of times you know, your vacuum pump will you know can and will come with a, a half inch fitting so you can basically do a half inch fitting coming right off your vacuum hose and sometimes there's also a quarter inch fitting available there as well and basically you'd hook that directly to you know you know basically the vacuum tree that you made and use the packed angle valves you know have a bunch of three eighths and have a bunch of quarter inch on there to utilize for you know, uh, you know, pulling your vacuum as well as, you know, having a stationary fitting right on there for, you know, checking microns as well. So when you blank off the vacuum pump, you're actually, you know, checking it at the header that you basically made. Um, you put some, uh, you know, uh, hydrosorb clamps on there with, with a piece of Unistrut, two pieces of Unistrut. And you can basically find a shady spot in your truck to hang it up there on one of the shelves. And no, it's not the blue vac system, but I mean, at least it'll, you know, it'll, it'll do the same, same job, you know, with multiple hosing, you can have multiple connections. So what I actually like is the Appian has these speed wise, they call them speed wise. So they have like four different ones where you can split them up like that. One's got like a half inch and it goes off two, three eighths. They have three eighths to half. I mean, I think those are great. They fit nice on the pump, and you could spin off that way. I mean, that, that's a good way to get more hoses on there for cheaper. And then same thing with the Appian hoses. I mean, they're like 100 bucks for a core. I think it's like $120 for a great core puller and a hose. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. And, you know, you buy two of them, the three-eighths to quarter hoses. I mean, or I'm sorry, half-inch to quarters or whatever they are. I think they're half the quarters 
I mean, you're, you're talking a great deal of time savings. Yeah, we get paid by the hour, but at the same time, I want it to be done right the same way at 2 a.m., but I don't want to wait. I agree. Anything else you want to cover, well, Chief? I think that's uh, – no, I think that's it for tonight now that my computer stopped crashing every two seconds. <laughs> this is wonderful Indiana internet we have. Yeah, right now Kevin uh, has – Maybe has one day. Go ahead. I have cellular internet, and I have my work hotspot that doesn't work, and my, my phone hotspot, so I'm my third hotspot right now. Yeah, Kevin right so, now has yeah. Kevin has one of his kids on top of his roof, just you know, holding an antenna upstairs just to get some fucking internet. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, I don't have to live in Illinois, so my parents are cheaper. <laughs> well, guys, I think that'll do it for tonight, man. Thanks for listening once again, and uh, you know, uh, I think next time we're gonna we're gonna do some uh, calm issue stuff. Um, I promise the control stuff is gonna is gonna come. Um, it, it's busy right now, as you guys know, and, uh, we will get there. We want to do some videos for that for sure. Um, but like I said, you know, where I think, uh, next one we're going to do is, uh, basically, uh, you know, communication issue stuff that we can cover, but guys, thanks for listening. Have a good night. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs>